excellent. Man, it is such an honor to be with you, Freedom Center. Can we just give uh, two seconds of honor to your pastor, Pastor Jim and Dina? Put your hands together. Um, he calls me a $1,000 bill. I, I feel like a 20 maybe when I'm around him. Um, really, the honor is mine. Um, your pastor is one of a kind. I know I don't have to tell you that already. I saw him hitting and biting and messing with you guys in the foyer. But uh, he, he's really one of a kind. I'm a better person because of your pastor. And uh, if I wanted to share anything with you, it's just thank you for being willing to share your pastors with the rest of the world. And I think sometimes you can be in a place so long you forget what you have. And you guys have a real gift. And I'm, I'm a better person. Um, I'm a better pastor. I'm a better Christian because I have your pastor in my life. And so I'm very thankful for you, Pastor Jim. Thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, today. Um, pastor Jim talked to me a while back and told me that you guys were in a series regarding God's Word. And he said that uh, I would be coming in the middle of that series and uh, that he wanted me to do anything else. And so I said, you got it, Pastor. I put together a message. He calls me. Uh, about two weeks before I was supposed to come, and he says, well, change of plans. We're actually going to be ending that series uh, when you come, so I'd like for you to, I forget what he said, swim in that lake or swim in a, a, a tributary connected to that lake or something like that. Gave me some pretty defined instructions on how he would like me to share, and I said, yes, sir, you got it, and uh, at the end of that, he says, just remember, I didn't tell you what to preach, so... I'm uh, just letting you know, uh, I'm excited to be here, but I've got a fresh word on my heart. Uh, I sought God really fresh for what you guys are in right now, and so one of two things is going to happen. It's going to be amazing, and I'm going to go home and preach this to my church next week, or it's going to be terrible, and you'll never see me again. So uh, well, it's just going to be one of the two. No, I, I've got something important I, I feel like I need to share with you. I want to share a little bit uh, from my heart. Uh, regarding this. Uh, my journey's a little bit different. I heard I'm following the president of a Bible college, and I got my GED in prison. So we could not be two different, uh, could not be two different communicators, uh, but my name is Jordan. I have a beautiful wife who is 5'1". She's got curly hair, and she's hanging out with Dina right now, and she's the, uh, the joy of my life. I've got two kids. One of them, seven, his name's Jeremiah, and uh, he needs Jesus in a bad way. Please, please pray for Jeremiah. And then I've got a two-year-old who weighs as much as my seven-year-old. I'm not sure where he gets the size from. Uh, but he's got his mama's heart, his mama's eyes, and his daddy's weight. Come on, somebody. And so I've got a gentle giant. I'm growing in my house. And uh, life is good. I pastor a church in Nampa, Idaho. I serve with some of the best people in the entire world. I work with my spiritual father. And uh, I just really enjoy what I do. God saved me. And he's healed me and called me. It's really my joy to preach his word and do what I do. I feel like the luckiest person alive. That's a little bit about me, but are you guys ready for the word of God? At Freedom Center, I don't, I don't get a lot of time, so let me just get right into it if that's okay. Genesis chapter 1, I just thought we'd throw it right back to the beginning. You guys okay with that? Now, I don't know what you're comfortable with. I don't want to stretch you beyond what you're ready. You don't know me. I'm tall. I'm not very handsome. Maybe I'm a little scary. I don't know. But uh, can you stretch a little bit? And Maybe I like a little bit of interaction. I know it's a holiday weekend. You guys could be blowing stuff up on a campground somewhere. Uh, but you're here hungry for Jesus. So can we interact a little bit? Is that all right? I want to impart something to you. 
Uh, in my church, when they find the scripture uh, that they're looking for, they all scream, yeah, baby, at me. We just get excited. So maybe we can try that together. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. Come on, when you find it, just scream, yeah, baby. All right. I like you guys already. I like you guys already. I told Pastor Jim that. I said, you're so amazing. I have to see the church that you lead. I just have to see it. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read five verses to kick this off. Got a couple big thoughts I want to drop on you, and then I'd love to pray for you guys before we wrap up this morning. Genesis 1, chapter, uh, or, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verse 5. It's the very first chapter in the Bible, if you're new to it. Genesis 1, 5. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Everybody say hovering. hovering. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And He separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first Day. If you pray with me briefly, I'll get right in. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you started it. You started it all. And Father, I just pray for the next few minutes for every single person that's here today. I pray every heart would be open, ready to receive. Thank you for hungry people. Thank you for this amazing church, these amazing pastors, these amazing people. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak from your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you're note takers. I get the feeling this is a note taking church because every single seat had notes on it. Man, you guys get the sermon in advance. You guys are amazing here. Uh, I'm lucky if I get our team my notes in advance, like three days before the service. So you guys are way more proactive than we are. Uh, but I wanted to give you a few things to write down if you are note takers. Uh, I'm a notes guy. I work from big thoughts or I'll end up in like Connecticut preaching several other sermons, and it's just not going to be a good thing. So if it's all right with you, I'm just going to follow my notes this morning. My first big thought I want to give you is this. The Word of God is a key to releasing the power of God within us. The Word of God is the key to releasing the power of God within us. If I had to give today's message a title, I would call it The Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. I think it's important to go right back to the beginning and look at how God kicked everything off. How He started everything. I know there's a lot of stuff floating around out there. There's a lot of stuff of how the earth came to be. And, you know, our, our schools are trying to teach our children something else. And it was, you know, a big bang. And everything started with a germ and multiplied. And that germ became many germs. And somehow that became us. But we know something different happened. I actually believe uh, in maybe a big bang. I, I believe that when God spoke, there was a bang. And everything came into being. But the Bible says this, that in the beginning, there was a form that was with, it was void and, and really without shape, without life. And the Bible says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep or the waters. So the very first thing that we see in all the Bible and all creation is a formless kind of void that, that was without life. It wasn't active, but the Spirit of God was there. How many know the Spirit of God is active? From the very beginning, the Spirit of God is there. The Bible says He's He's hovering. You know, we don't serve a static God. How many know that God never just, He never just sits still. He's always creating, always doing, always loving, always moving things forward. 
How many know that God's never static in your life? God never goes through a season where he's not doing anything. Even when he's not doing stuff, he's doing stuff in your life. How many know that's true? The Bible says he was there, he was active, he was, he was moving, but he wasn't doing anything. What was the Holy Spirit doing? He was waiting on a word from the Father. The Bible says the word came, let there be light. Boom! The Holy Spirit starts moving. And he starts creating. Light happens. Things start to take shape. Animals are created. The depths are separated. Humanity is created. The Father gives the Word. And the Holy Spirit goes to work doing what He does best, which is creating. The Holy Spirit's active, but He's waiting on a Word. You know, the Bible says that same Holy Spirit that not just raised Christ from the dead, but also created all things by the Word of the Father in the beginning lives in you and me. As a matter of fact, Romans 8, 11 says, the same Spirit of God, the same One, everybody say the same One, who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Isn't that powerful? See, the Spirit of God lives in you. Every single person who's ever put their trust in Jesus that's been born again has the Spirit of God living in them. And the Spirit of God is active. He's moving in you. He's changing you. He's, he's birthed you into this brand new family called the family of Almighty God. How many are thankful for the family of God? But see, the Spirit of God wants to do more than just hover in you. Wants to do more than just move in you. How many know the Spirit of God wants to move through you? There's power in you. There's power inside of you. The same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is in each and every one of you who put your trust in Jesus. That means we should be, we should be seeing things happen in our life. When we show up, God's stuff should happen. Power should be released into our families, our workplaces, our situations, the offices, the, the factories, the places that we go to, the schools we go to. There should be power not just moving in us, come on, but flowing through us. But see, the key to that isn't just having the Spirit of God in you, but it's adding to the Spirit of God in you, come on, the Word of God. The Bible says in the beginning was the Spirit, but it wasn't until the Word spoke that there was a release of power. God creates through words. The Spirit responds to words. That's the divine order of things. It's been in place since the very beginning. As a matter of fact, let's look at Jesus. Jesus Himself. How many know Jesus is good theology? Okay, so when you look at Jesus, we see very little of Jesus from the age of 3 to 30. He just kind of, it's, it's very, very little is there. We see Him kind of maybe as a young child, but we get this little picture of Jesus in the temple, I believe at age 12. And the Bible's just telling us that He's just sitting in the temple studying. He's confounding the scholars. He's, he's preparing, he's, he's, in the, he's in the synagogue, he's in the temple, he's, he's learning and he's, he's growing and he's taking in and he's absorbing. That's the model we see. Then he, on 30, he kind of comes on the scene, comes out into ministry, baptized, power of God, the Spirit of God rests on him and the rest is, come on, history. Let's look at the disciples. They spend three years with Jesus He's teaching them, imparting into them. Peter described it like this. 
He said, Jesus, you have the words of life. Jesus was imparting into them the word of God, the words of God. He even came to a culture that was very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, the word of God. Then the spirit of God came on the believers, and the Bible says they turned the world upside down. I think in the church today, we've almost flip-flopped that. Jesus came to a culture that was well-versed in Scripture, but short on the Spirit. In the generation we're living in, we love the Spirit of God. Come on, we love to come into church services. We love to experience the moving of the Holy Spirit. Come on, we love to, to sense His presence. We, we love to engage in worship, to amen the preacher. I mean, you know, we're heavy on the Spirit these days. But by and large, I believe we're short on the Word. We, we've got it reversed. But see, the reality is this. It's the Word of God that builds up our faith in God. We're, we're missing something. We love the Spirit, but, but we're short on the Word. It's the Word of God that gives your faith in God boldness. Your faith doesn't come from the Word of God, but it does build up your faith in the Son of God. It tells your faith where to go. It tells it how far to go. It tells it what it can believe for. It builds you up. There's something that happens when you put the Word of God into your life that the Spirit of God in you responds to. The Spirit of God responds to the Word of the Father. He responds to what God has said. He responds to it. That's why the enemy will do everything he can to keep you from the Word of God. We're living in a culture today that is preaching this message that the Bible's irrelevant. That the teaching of Jesus is irrelevant. Can I just tell you that the Bible is the most relevant book that's ever been written. We live in a generation that needs the hope of God. People need hope. They need help. They need healing. They need to know. They need a word from God. How many know people need a word from God? How many know the Father's given us a whole bunch of them in a book we call the Bible? It's relevant. People need a word from God. But the enemy will keep you from that because he understands the power of a believer that doesn't just have the Spirit of God, but has the Word of God in him. See, every single page of this book points us to real answers, real hope, a real Jesus. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. I mean, you know, the New Testament is Jesus revealed. The Bible points you to the Son of God. But see, the Holy Spirit isn't in the business of empowering the philosophies of men. Just because it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. Just because you thought it was a good idea doesn't mean God's obligated to breathe on it. Come on, somebody. That, 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 that's not true. I've heard people say, well, God's got to, God doesn't have to bless anything. But he said he will bless his word. He's in the business of blessing his promises, of making good on everything he spoke to you, told you, whether it's to your heart or through this book. God is in the business of making good on his promises. He's in the business of empowering his word and his will in the earth. See, there's power in, and life in every word God speaks in every word he's ever spoken. The reason that this book is relevant today is because it hasn't lost any of its power. God's in the business of backing up every promise he's ever made. Whether it was to generations past or to your heart yesterday, God will make good on his promises, which makes this book powerful 
and relevant to your life. As a matter of fact, I want you to write this down. The Word of God is a key to winning battles. How many of you are dealing with a battle in your life? There's like three honest people in the house. It's okay. It's okay. I can't even see you anyway. The lights are so bright. I'm just trusting that you're being, you're being real. How many know we fight battles? Whether you're fighting a, a battle in your, in your family, in your marriage, in your life, in your faith. How many know we fight battles in our minds? We fight battles with our kids. Come on, somebody. I got a two-year-old. I'm in a constant battle right now. Up until like one and a half, he would just say, yes, daddy. And now it's like, no. You know what I mean? No. Everything's, no. I'm fighting battles all the time. The reality is this, though. We're all fighting battles, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our, we're fighting battles in our faith, in our family, in our, in our minds. But can I just tell you this, that a believer that is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is a powerful force. You can walk into any situation. You can walk into any hospital room. You can walk into any, any, any business meeting, any situation, any family situation with power in your bones. You can fight any battle. You can fight any devil. As a matter of fact, what was Jesus' model for fighting battles? Well, Jesus, he chose to be full of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. As a matter of fact, when the enemy himself, the devil himself, came against Jesus, Jesus did not plead the blood. Come on, somebody. He did not pray in tongues. He didn't plead. He was full of the blood of Jesus. He didn't plead the blood of Jesus. What did he do? He drew from the authority of the Word of God. That's what Jesus did. When the devil attacked, Jesus drew from the authority. He didn't quote a cute line he had preached earlier. He didn't quote, he, he didn't quote some modern day uh, vernacular. He didn't quote the, I can, I, I can do it if I try. He went back to, it is written. He drew from the authority of the Word of God. How many know there are some battles, some tests, some things you will fight in this life that require you to draw from the authority of the written Word of God? There are times you go through something and you just need to find a promise in this book and know that God will make good on every promise He's ever made. Sometimes you need a, it is written. Sometimes the, college, or the kingdom of God is like college. If, if you don't study the book, you won't pass the test. Jesus knew the word of the Lord. And he drew from the authority of God's word, of the word of the Father, to come against every attack in his life. Do you know that every bit of the armor of God mentioned in Ephesians 6 is defensive? All of the, all of the armor is defensive. Come on, you got the helmet, you got the, the breastplate, the belt, the shoes. You got all this armor, right? The shield. Every bit of it is defensive except one thing. The Bible says we also have what's called the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. See, I found that most believers are really good at taking blows. We're really good at being in battles. Come on, you guys have hung out with Christians. Maybe you are one. I don't know. But it's very common to hear, oh, man, I'm just in a battle right now. I'm just under attack. I, I hear it all the time. How you doing, man? Oh, you know, I'm just, I'm just in a battle. I'm just really under attack right now. You know, 
The Apostle Paul, he said that we are to fight the good fight of faith. I don't know about you, but I grew up, I grew up scrapping, okay? I, I wish that my testimony was that I got saved when I was this small, but I grew up, it was a dog-eat-dog dog world. It was eat or be eaten. Come on, somebody. I was in prison at 18 years old. I'll talk about that a little bit more if I have time. But I, was in, I lived in a world where it wasn't a fight if you didn't throw a punch. Come on, somebody. It was called a beating if you didn't throw a punch. You know what I'm saying? The Apostle Paul never said, take the good beating of faith. Come on, somebody. But that's what I see in the church for the most part. We're not fighting the fight of faith. We're just taking the beating of faith. We're just laying down. We got the shield of faith up and the devil's standing over us, clobbering our marriages, clobbering our kids, clobbering our minds, and we're, we're holding on. Jesus, one day I'll fly away. And we got our shield of faith. By God, we're waiting. And we're, we're just holding on, taking the good beating of faith. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says we're to fight the good fight of faith. God gave you a lot of defensive armor, but He also gave you a sword that you're supposed to use to wage warfare on the enemy in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your school, on the workplace. And it's the Word of God. You're not supposed to get beaten. You're supposed to win. You were called to win. You were called to fight and to win. Our God died, but He got back up again. And we are all victors in the life that He's given us today. The devil's not in our face. He's under our feet. We're supposed to win, friends. We're supposed to fight. That means we're supposed to throw some blows. You were born into a war, and it is our job to win because God has already ensured us a victory. So you don't roll over and play dead, but you got to know the Word of God in order to fight this kingdom battle. And the reason most believers don't fight is because they don't know how. Because they haven't read the book. It's a battle manual. It's an instruction manual for winning the war. How many know Jesus has already ensured our victory, but we've got battles to fight now? I don't want to get to heaven beat up and messed up, all jacked because all I did was take a beating for 80 years and then skiffed into the heaven. You know what I mean? Thank God for this renewed, regenerated body, Lord, because my old one was jacked. You know what I mean? <laughs> the devil won my whole life, you know, but thank you, Jesus. I've got eternal victory in you. No! Man, I want to punch the devil right in the face. I want to punch poverty right in the face. I want to punch addiction right in the face. I want to punch cancer right in the face. I want to wage war with every weapon God told me that I can have. And the only way I'm going to know if I have it is if I've read the Word of God. Listen to me. The Pharisees of Jesus' day could quote Scripture better than anyone in this room. But they were powerless against the works of darkness. They were lifeless in their faith. Wielding the sword of the Spirit has nothing to do with how much you know, and it has everything to do with how much you know how to do. Let me say that again. Wielding the sword of the Spirit has nothing to do with how much you know, how many Scriptures you've memorized. doesn't matter if you've memorized the whole Old Testament. 
If you don't know that everything you know you can actually do, then you're not wielding the sword of the Spirit. You can sit at home and quote Scripture all you want, but at some point you've got to get up and say, I can do everything He said I can do. I can have everything He said I can have. I can get up out of this. I can be free. Come on, Freedom Center. I can worship God. I can be blessed. I, I, can, I can overcome. I can have a healthy marriage. I can have godly children. I can be healed. I can impact my community. I can reach other people for the glory of God. I'm not sitting here singing one day I'll fly away. I'm living in the power of God. Walking in everything God says that I can have. I didn't go through a formal school that taught me all the stuff. I remember I planted my, we're a multi-campus church where I come from. We're starting our sixth location in the fall. And uh, I've had the privilege of helping to start three of those now. And uh, the neat thing is, when you're planting churches, how I many of this is a church planting church? You guys understand this. You're taking territory that's previously occupied by something that's not the kingdom. Come on. That means there's, that, that means there's grimy things that are there. There's no such thing as unoccupied territory. It's just the kingdom has an outpost or it doesn't. I love that you guys are starting churches. You got churches in Fenton. You got churches in, in Flint. You got, there's, uh, they're all over the place. You guys are making an impact. But I'll never forget, we started a church in the most depressed area of our city. And uh, it was our first year anniversary. And I'm sitting in the, in the sanctuary. I'm preaching. And uh, this, this guy walks in. He's got devil horns tattooed on his forehead. And I kid you not, this is an exaggeration. He walks in. I could literally feel the air get sucked out of the room. The temperature in the room dropped at least 20 degrees, enough that you could feel it. My security was paralyzed. Everybody was paralyzed. And the dude starts howling like a wolf and not just running, but crawling down the center aisle. How many know we have a real enemy? But how many know he only operates on an intimidation factor? And so I was kind of annoyed because my security guy is literally a deadly weapon. He's like a ninth degree judo. I mean, he could rip your arms off and beat you with them. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, <gasps> you know, over in the corner. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, guys. I mean, you had one job, you know. It was to rip the arms off demoniacs if they show up. You know what I mean? And so I come down off the stage. But here's the thing. Nobody taught me to do this. And then I, I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag. I'm just trying to tell you. I got saved in prison. But I read the book. I don't have a PhD, but I read the book. And so, because I read the book, I knew that no matter how scary this guy looked and no matter what kind of demonic influence he had, the power in me was greater than the power in him, and he was nothing more than a distraction to what God wanted to do. And so with a word, I told him to sit down and to shut up. And like super glue, he was miraculously stuck to the front. He couldn't speak and he couldn't move. And he stood that way the whole time. And the whole church got to watch God set a table before us in the presence of our enemies because we read the book. But if you don't read the book, that stuff is scary. If you don't read the book, you don't know what you can do. You can win every battle because the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. When you lay hands on cancer, it disappears. Because why? Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world. 
When you go to work, it doesn't matter what the atmosphere is like, you bring the presence of God. Why? Because greater is He who is in you than He who is in your workplace. If you read the book, you'll know. See, the church has forgotten this. We're confusing Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, with Gandhi. Our idea of warfare is like fasting from sugar for three days. We're doing a hunger strike for Jesus. You know what I mean? Fast. That's great. But Jesus only did it once. I mean, my God, some of us, feel, I feel like that's all we know how to do in spiritual warfare. The other part of it, Jesus got up and said, I came to destroy the works of darkness in the earth. Jesus' only mission wasn't just to save us. That was his primary mission. But he said, I came to destroy the works of darkness. Listen to me. There's some stuff that you're supposed to tear up. There's some stuff you're supposed to rip down. There's some stuff you're supposed to blow up before you get to heaven. But you're not going to do it if you don't know how to wield the sword of the Spirit. If you don't know how to walk in the promises of God. If you don't know how to step into the authority that God's given you. And you're not going to find it on YouTube. You're not going to find it uh, in a self-help book. You're not going to find it from Tony Robbins. You're going to find it from the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. you got to know what to do. Listen, if God wanted you to be powerless and normal, He gave you the wrong book, the wrong Savior, and the wrong spirit. That's the reality. You know, John Wimber, he said this, every believer needs three conversions, to be converted to Christ, converted to His church, and then converted to His cause. Many of us stop at being converted into His church. How many know the next step is to take whatever happens here and do it on Monday, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday, and then third, if your Christianity stops at Sunday, you're not living a Jesus Christianity. You're living an American version of the faith. What happens here is vital. Sundays are vital. We teach Sundays as vital in my church, but Mondays are just as vital. How many know Sundays are for you, but Mondays are for Jesus? Come on, somebody. You've got to take what you've learned and go do it. And go reach your neighbors, reach your co-workers, reach your workplace, reach your school. Go do the stuff. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's not supposed to prevail. The gates are not supposed to stop us. We're supposed to blow them up and reach people. Come on, somebody. It's the reality. Let me give you, let me give you one more thought here. The Word of God is the key, is the key to impacting our world. You know, the Bible says in John 1, 4, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Listen to me, the goal isn't just to get the Word of God into you. The goal is to get the Word of God into the world, through you. How many know that Jesus embodied the world? Or, excuse me, Jesus embodied the Word. The Bible says he was the word made flesh. He, he, he was the word. We sing that song, you were the word at the beginning. I mean, he embodied, he, he was a, a personification of the word of God. He showed up, he showed up into a culture that had a mixed up, messed up view of the heart and the ways and the, and the, and the ideas of God. And he modeled what God really looked like to a confused world. These pages, they represent him. They represent his heartbeat. They show us his heart aches. And Jesus came into a world that didn't get it. And can I just tell you right now, this generation, they need more than a sermon. Come on, somebody. 
They need to see Jesus in you. They need to see your life different. The greatest testimony you have is what has changed in your life since you've met God. People should look different after they encounter Jesus. People need an embodiment of what God is like. The whole Word became flesh thing wasn't supposed to end with Jesus. How many know we were all supposed to be conformed to the image of God? The Bible says we're all in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. People need to see what Jesus looks like, sounds like, acts like, interacts like. They need to see Jesus in us. It's not enough anymore to just invite your friends to church. It's not enough anymore to let your pastor tell them about Jesus. It's not enough to reach this generation. This is a message that I believe God has put in my heart for this generation. If we are going to reach this generation, it's not going to be just through the pulpit and it's not going to be just through the stage. It's going to be through your life and your life and your life and your life and yours and yours and yours and yours. Getting a hold of the heart of God. Letting His Word transform you until what you are reading in this book becomes what your life looks like. Until you're growing more and more like Jesus every day. So that when people encounter you, they feel like they may have just met God in some way, shape, or form. changed by this book by every word that both came from his mouth and comes from his mouth Charles Spurgeon he said the Bible is not the light of the world it's the light of the church but the world does not read the Bible the world reads Christians Jesus said you're the light of the world you're the only Bible some people will ever read the only Bible some people will ever read. When I was 16 years old, I was at a critical juncture in my life. I was dressed in gothic clothing. I was eating ecstasy like candy. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's a party drug full of meth and other fun things that will mess your mind up. I was smoking weed before it was legal. Come on, somebody. Still not legal for the Christian. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you. Uh, I'm sure I clarify that. Um, but I came into a church service one time looking for hope. I was 16 years old. My hair was blue, six foot. I'm scary. I get it. I'm not sure my students' ministry would handle it any better than they did at the time. But I remember giving God one last chance. Went to a Nazarene church in town. And I walked through the doors, and I remember them looking at me like an animal that had three eyes. Nobody would talk to me. Nobody would approach me. And listen, I, I don't hold that against them necessarily, but at that, that moment it marked me as I sat in the back of a room not understanding anything, not being loved, not, being, not even anybody trying to embrace me. I was hurting and I didn't look like them, but I kind of wish I did. And I didn't have what they had, but I, I wish I did. And I was looking for hope and I was looking for help. I was looking for a way out and all I got was this wall. And I remember thinking, if that's what Jesus looks like, then I don't want that. If this is what the church looks like, then I don't want to be a part of it. If this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, then I'm out. And I turned my back on the faith for two and a half years. I turned into a full-blown drug addict, shooting $1,000 a day into my arm, 
stay up for weeks at a time, lose my mind. When I was 18 and a half, had a grand jury indictment for trafficking methamphetamine. I went to prison. And as I'm waiting in Ada County Jail, Boise, Idaho, to go do time for crimes that I committed, I, trust me, I deserve to go where they wanted to send me. I had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And I had a moment when I realized that the Jesus that I've met is different than the Jesus I've met in other people. And listen, we'll never, listen, we're never gonna be all the way like Jesus. Come on, somebody. <laughs> we're never gonna be perfect. But I purposed in my heart from a young Christian that I was gonna be surrendered to the Spirit of God until my life looked like that more than it looked like what it was. So that if someone else like me ever showed up around me, they weren't going to experience what I did. They were going to see a sliver of Jesus in Jordan. Come on, somebody. And I think what the world is looking for is just a sliver of Jesus in Jordans all over the world. But the Spirit of God will transform through the Word of God the person that is surrendered to Him. Would you bow your heads and just let me pray for you? Maybe I'll get to the whole message in the second service. You can watch it online later. I just want to pray a couple things over you today. First of all, if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus at all, maybe you've been turned off by God, maybe you showed up at a church like me, I know it wouldn't be this one. Maybe you showed up at a church somewhere and what you saw was definitely not something you ever wanted to be like or be a part of. I'm going to ask you today to realize that people are broken vessels doing their best to reflect the glory of a good father. And he loves you. He loves you so much. And he would love nothing more than for you to come home. The Bible says if you'll just trust him, if you'll put your faith and hope in him, that you'll be saved, you'll be born again. Maybe you're here and you just say, Pastor, that, that's me. I need to trust Jesus. I need, I need to trust a good Jesus. I just want to encourage you, just reach out to him. There's no formula. It's just saying, Jesus, I trust you. Forgive me. Make me new. Make me new. You could do that right now. I pray that you do. Matter of fact, if you're here this morning and you just say, Pastor, that's, that's me. That's absolutely me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you just say, Pastor, that's me. Would, would you just raise your hand so that I'll, I can pray for you? If you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I see you you and you say, so I just need to trust Jesus today. I need to put my hope in you. Father, right now, I just pray for something supernatural as these people reach out to you in faith. Your word says if we would believe upon you what you did, that you died for us, you rose again, we would be saved, born again. Pray for the miracle of salvation, that brand new birth. Would you forgive their sin? Would you start everything fresh? I pray a blanket of mercy and grace would hit their lives right now in Jesus' name. They would experience you in a real way, in a real way that would wake them up on the inside. Bring them to life, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And if you're here today, final thing I want to pray for, if you're here today and you just say, Pastor, I need, I need, I need my life to look different. Maybe you've walked with God for a long time. Maybe you haven't been where you need to be as far as God's word being surrendered to the Holy Spirit 
Maybe your heart has even grown a little bit hard. That voice isn't so loud anymore when the Spirit speaks to you. If that's you, you say, Pastor, today I want to make a fresh commitment, just a fresh commitment to God's Word and God's Spirit. I want to be used by God. I want to be changed by God. I want my life to show a sliver of Jesus that would bring hope to this world. If that's you, again, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you just say, Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Can, can I help you raise your hand? Just say, that, that's me. That's me. I need a fresh surrendering to the Word and the Spirit today. Father, you've seen every single one of these. I just pray right now that you would honor their commitment, honor their faith, that there would be a fresh outpouring of your Spirit upon their life. Awaken their hearts again to your voice, to your help, to your hope. Awaken them again, God. Awaken them again. Show them that you love them. I pray love encounters, not just power encounters, but love. You're God of power and a God of love, but it's your love that helps us to be surrendered to you. So I pray for that today. I pray they be surrendered to your word, to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'd speak fresh and new. Change us, transform us, that we might be the light of the world when we leave this place. In Jesus' name.